Well, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 again. Matthew chapter 6. We'll pick up where we left off in this, the model prayer. Let's just read the entire prayer again, beginning with verse 9. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Jesus said, In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And Jesus has been instructing us uh, in this model of prayer. And he gave us first the instructions to acknowledge the Father to whom we pray. But the first things that we ask for in this prayer do not... Uh, come straight from our prayer list, those things that we desire, those things we want God to do for us. But he taught us to seek his desires first. Verse 9, he said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is not primarily about you. It's not about us, it's about seeking God and what He desires, what He has for us. But after we have sought God's face, after we have prayed that God would do what He desires, then we can come to Him and He invites us to pray to have our needs met. Verse 11 we looked at last time, He says, Give us this day our daily bread. Those things that are necessary for life and those things of which we have need... God invites us to bring those requests to Him. We can't do anything without Him, and He allows us to come to Him and seek Him to meet our needs, to be beneficiaries of His grace. But when we pick up today in, in verse 12, and, and you all know that sometimes I can just take one verse and preach a whole sermon on it. Well, I, I don't want to discourage you, but today we're only going to cover about half a verse. Um, verse 12 begins this way. He says, and forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. What does he mean by a debt? Why does he use that language? In Luke's record, when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he teaches them this way. It says, Our Father in heaven, Luke 11, hallowed be your name. So far, so good. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. Or if you use the old King James, trespasses. Forgive our sins. Why does he speak of sins as debts? What could we possibly owe God, right? That's a debt. And I hope that your reaction to that is, Everything, right? What, what could you possibly owe God? Well, you owe God your life. You see, God created us. He made us, made the universe and everything in it. 
He sustains your life even now. Every breath you take, every time your heart beats, it is a gift from God. He is sustaining you this very moment. And I think it's fair to say and safe to say that He has rights to us. God has ownership of all that He has made. He owns you. You owe Him allegiance. We owe Him obedience. But we don't do that, do we? At least not. Perfectly. We have failed him. We're not thankful for the life he has given us. We take our breaths, we take our heartbeats for granted. We just expect that it's going to happen. It's, it's a right to us to be able to live and to have our being. We ignore God's law and we do what he desires. He says to do one thing and we do Another, he says, love me with all your heart, and we love ourselves or something else with all of our heart. He says not to steal, and we steal to meet our own desires. He says not to commit adultery, and we commit adultery. And just in case you say, well, I never did that one, Jesus says that if one looks with lust, he has committed adultery in his heart. And God equates hatred with the sin of murder. He says to not bear false witness, yet we lie to gain what we desire all the time. He says to love Him with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. And He's worthy of that love. He deserves it. He's not some egomaniac who just wants people to pat Him on the back. God is worthy of your love and your allegiance and your obedience. Yet... We love ourselves, we love our own comfort, and we love our pleasure, and we love our goals above all else. And so since God owns us, and since we owe Him obedience and allegiance and love and have not given it to Him, we have accrued a debt to God that we cannot pay. Romans chapter 6, Paul told the church, he says, the wages of sin is death. The payment that you and I deserve for our sin, for our debt to God, is death. And sin against an infinitely holy God deserves an infinite punishment. It's not good enough for you to stop breathing. It's not good enough for your physical body to die and go to the ground. That doesn't satisfy your debt. That's why there's hell. That's why the wrath of God against sinners lasts forever. Because God lasts forever. Because your offense against Him lasts forever. God is good. And God is just. And because He is good, He must punish lawbreakers. We, we would cry foul if that wasn't the way the world worked. If people who broke laws, people who committed murders, people who violated your rights weren't punished. If someone stole your wallet, 
you would call the law and expect justice to be served. Yet when it's our sin that gets God's attention, we like to say, well, God's good. <laughs> God's loving. He's forgiving. Well, God is good and he is loving and he loves righteousness. He loves holiness and he must, because of his goodness, punish sin. He must be just. He cannot and he will not sweep your sin or mine under the rug. He won't turn and look the other way. You can think of it like this. You stand in God's courtroom. He is your judge. Your sentence is death because you owe a debt that you cannot pay. But what if someone stepped into this courtroom and paid that debt for you? What if there was someone who had the resources to pay your fine, if you will? What if there was someone who owed no debt himself, yet he cared enough about you to make payment in your behalf? Well, if that happened, then God could dismiss your case, couldn't he? Legally, rightfully, and justice still be served. That's exactly what Jesus did. You know that. Jesus owed no debt of His own because He lived a sinless, perfect life. He truly was the Lamb of God that was perfect, sinless, spotless. Who was tempted in every way like we are, yet He was unlike us in that He was without sin. He did that in your behalf, and then He laid down His own life willingly. Since He had no sin, He deserved no death, yet He died because He chose to die in your place, to die as your substitute. You deserve death, but He took your death. He submitted Himself to the wrath of God in your behalf. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead to show that he accepted his payment for your sin. And now he offers you life. That's the gospel, isn't it? That's good news. When you turn away from your sins and you come to God on the basis of what Jesus has done for you, you can have your sins forgiven. You can receive the free gift of eternal life. Friend, if that hasn't occurred in your life, that needs to happen now. Come to God. Yes, He's forgiving. Yes, He's loving. Yes, He's kind. He's so loving and He's so kind that He won't turn a blind eye to sin, but He will allow His own Son to take your punishment so that you can be forgiven, so that you can have life. You see, it is God's nature to forgive sinners. He loves to do it. We've read this passage from Exodus 34 several times in, in the past when God describes Himself to Moses on the mountain and He speaks of Himself this way. He says, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's how God describes Himself. 
It's in His nature. He loves to forgive sinners. It's in God's nature to forgive, and it's through Jesus that He grants it. Acts 13, the apostle said, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, that is through Jesus Christ, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. By keeping the law, by trying to keep God's rules, you could never earn life for yourself. You could never earn your way back to God because no matter how much good you do from now till the day you die, you can't do anything about that sin that you've already committed. You can't wash away your own sins. The balance will never be tipped in your favor. But through Jesus, one who owed no debt himself, one who was without sin, your debt is paid in full. Now, we're talking about prayer. <laughs> so for those who are Christians, what does this have to do with your prayer life? Let me just give you three uh, principles, maybe four. We probably won't have time for four. Three principles that relate to your personal prayer life in light of God's forgiveness. Principle number one, in Christ... You are completely forgiven. You are completely forgiven. Paul told the Ephesians, Ephesians 1.7, In Him we have, present tense, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Not that you will have, or not that you had at one time, but you have right now, because of the blood of Jesus, redemption. You have forgiveness according to the riches of God's grace. Just how rich is God's grace? Richer than anything you can ever imagine. His grace never runs out. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Romans 8, you know this verse well. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So when is there no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus? Now. There is therefore now no condemnation. Now, how often do you feel condemned because of your sin, Christians? If you're like me, and you're sort of a, a basket case sometimes, and you get on an emotional roller coaster, uh, condemnation comes rather frequently, doesn't it? Things can come to your mind, sins that you've committed, maybe even that day, a thought that you had, something you said that was really stupid and you shouldn't have, and you just, it can eat at you. Wear you down. And those accusations begin to come. Well, you're a lousy Christian, aren't you? God isn't pleased with you, is He? Sometimes it gets bad enough. Well, really, can you say that you're a Christian at all the way you act? Am I alone here? 
Surely other people, surely you, some of you at least, feel the same way sometimes. Condemnation comes frequently. It is an attack from the accuser. He didn't get that name just because. Satan is the accuser, but we have to look to what God has said, whether we feel like it's true or not, and say, hey, guess what? There is therefore now no condemnation. Not a little bit till you can read your Bible again and make up for it. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? Have you been born again? Have you put your trust in Him and had your sins forgiven? Let me tell you right now, you need to hear this. There is therefore now, 1029 a.m., October the 16th, there is now no condemnation for you. For you. How much? None. Just want to make sure you got it. Because we don't believe this daily. We get in the rut. We get caught up in too much introspection and we take our eyes off of Christ and we begin to sink. But there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just one more verse. John 19.30. You know this one. Jesus, last words, it is finished. The work is done. There is nothing else you need to do to try to impress God, try to get back on His good side. All you have to do is look back to Jesus who has already done it all in your behalf and trust in Him all over again. You don't need to get saved again. If you're born again, you're born again. You can't undo that. But boy, do we need to hear the gospel every day. Boy, do we need to preach it to ourselves. Yeah, you're lost. You were lost without Christ. Yeah, you're, you're sinful. Yeah, you're messed up. But guess what? You're not trusting in yourself. You're not trusting in how you feel. You're not trusting in your own success or failure. You're trusting in Jesus alone. And He said, it is finished. It's done. You're free. You are completely forgiven in Christ. That'll affect how you pray. Nothing will ever, listen, you know this, you know this. I'm going to tell you again because you need to hear it. Nothing that you ever can do will cause God to love you any more than he does right now. There is no good deed you could ever do that God would say, man, I didn't think I could take my love to another level for him. I didn't realize there was something she could do that would just make me love her a little bit more. Guess what? As much as he can possibly love you, he loves you right now. You want to hear the flip side of that? There's absolutely nothing you can do that will ever cause God to love you less. When you've had the worst day you've had in 10 years, and you've sinned the most you've ever sinned in your life, <laughs> we have those days, we feel that way. I want you to know this. There's absolutely nothing you can ever do to diminish God's love for you one bit. Praise God. You are completely forgiven. Principle number two. God has always required confession and repentance of sin from his people. So do we just ignore our sins? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. As my mother would say, don't 
even think about it. I have a good mama. God forbid. God has always required confession and repentance of sin from his people. Second Chronicles 7, most of us know one verse from that chapter, but there is a context. Solomon has built the temple, and God comes and speaks to him in the night, and God says this to Solomon. He says, I have heard your prayer. And have chosen this place, this temple, for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, and command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, that is, if you sin and, I, and you stand under judgment and you're, you're experiencing the consequences of your sin, he says, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray... And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. That was God's promise to Israel. Now, listen, just because you're completely forgiven doesn't mean there are no consequences when you sin. You know this in your relationship with your own children, right? Your children disobey. It doesn't change the love that you have for them. But there are consequences for their actions. And sometimes you don't have to punish your kids at all because the dumb thing they just did, it's going to bring about its own punishment. And so God tells Israel, yeah, you're going to sin, and I'm going to send judgment, and your land's going to suffer for it. But if you, my people, will humble yourselves. Now listen, to confess your sin, it takes humility. Because what happens if you try to confess your sin and you're not humble? You're going to start rationalizing. You're going to start justifying. Yeah, I know I did this, but I really had a good reason. Yeah, I know I probably shouldn't have said it that way, but what I said was actually true. God doesn't need you to rationalize your sin. God doesn't need you to rationalize your failures. He knows your heart. You're not going to deceive Him. You're not going to convince Him that what you did really was okay, even though it wasn't okay. But He tells His people, if you humble yourself and pray and seek My face, you're not looking for your own benefit, your own well-being. You're seeking God's face and turn from your wicked ways. Confession without repentance is kind of pointless, right? Yeah, God, I know I sinned. I'm going to do it again, by the way. Then, he says, I will hear from heaven. We'll forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, God doesn't promise you that he'll fix all of your problems. Sometimes your sin will get you in situations you think, I don't know what I'm going to do. And God just might let you feel the weight of that. God just might let you experience the consequences of your sin. But He will forgive you. He will heal you. For Israel, for us, forgiving and healing do not take place without humility, prayer, and repentance. That's the second principle. God's always required confession and repentance of sin from His people. David said in Psalm 32, 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, my iniquity I have not hidden. He said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sins. If you read the rest of that psalm, Psalm 32, he talks about how miserable he is to have to hold on to his sin without confessing it. 
Some of you have experienced that. I know I have. When you've sinned and you don't confess it right away, it can make you sick. He said, my bones wasted away. He felt like he was beaten down by the, the summer sun. It's miserable to live with sin unconfessed. So God's always expected this of His people. The third principle is this. Confession of sin allows us to maintain fellowship with God. Confession of sin allows us to maintain fellowship with God. Now again, your sin does not diminish God's love for you, but it will hinder your fellowship. It will keep you from being able to walk near the Lord. Being close to Him, maybe as you once were. And so the answer to that, God's invitation to you, is to confess it. That's the means by which He draws you close. 1 John 1, verse 5, John says, This is the message which we heard from Him and declare to you. That God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. The contrast, light and dark. But he says, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now listen, if you're a Christian, you're a Christian. Does that mean you never act like somebody who walks in darkness? What fellowship does light have with darkness? None. They literally cannot coexist. Light and dark cannot, it is not possible for them to dwell together. He says, if you say that you have fellowship with God, God who is light, but you're walking in darkness, you lie and you're not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. He said, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If you ignore your sin and you don't confess it, you don't acknowledge your sin before God, you are deceiving yourself. He goes as far as to say the truth is not in us. But verse 9 says that if we confess our sins... Acknowledge your sin before God. Agree with God that what you see that you have done that is sin really is sin. Just say it for what it is. Don't try to make it sound nice. Don't try to clean it up. Just come to God and say, God, this is sin. You confess it to God and you forsake it. And he says, if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We've all been in that boat that David describes, that misery of living with sin that is unconfessed. And if you're really a Christian, if you really belong to God, you can't live like that for long. Human nature, our sinful nature, is to hide our sin and continue in it. We like it. We want to keep it. It's enjoyable. That's what feels natural to us. But the Christian life is characterized by confessing sin and forsaking it. When you become a Christian, you 
obviously don't become sinless. I know myself and I know you well enough to know that when you become a Christian, you do not become sinless. But the pattern of the Christian life is one of con continuous, constant confessing and forsaking. When you see your sin, when you stumble and fall, you get up, you say, God, that was sin. I'm sorry, I forsake. And you keep following Jesus. And then probably an hour later, you're going to do it again. And you're going to sin. And you're going to stumble. And you're going to fall. Maybe a different sin. And you get up and you say, God, that was sin. I confess it. I forsake it. And you keep following Jesus. That's the Christian life. If you're a Christian, you're a child of God. Absolutely nothing can change that. Just rest in that. Enjoy that. Take joy in it. But when we recognize sin in our lives and confess it, we remove the barriers that would hinder our fellowship with God. Now, if you want to keep your sin, if you say, I'm a Christian, but I like this and I'm going to keep it, I'm not interested in fellowship with God, you're probably not a Christian. You're probably not a Christian at all. If being rid of your sin so that you can draw near to God doesn't appeal to you, then you probably are still living in your old nature. And you need to be born again. Everybody write this down or type it in a note in your phone or something, this reference. Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Here's your take home. Here's your uh, very practical step to do this week. Okay, when you pray, do it today. And do it every day this week. Pray this prayer from this psalm. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see, you're asking God to see, see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's intimidating. To ask God, like he didn't know it already, right? To ask God to turn his eyes on you. And to look for your sin and show it to you. Because let's just be honest, we all have blind spots. Sometimes the Lord will bring a sin to my attention and I'll think, why did I not see that 10 years ago? Some attitude towards someone or some attitude about something some wrong way of thinking about my own self or about God. That's sinful. When you pray this prayer, I'll just go ahead and tell you from experience, when you come to God and you say, search me, O God, and know my heart, and you say, see if there's any wicked way in me, do not be surprised when he answers you. <laughs> it will not be comfortable. It might be outright painful. But when we pray, 
We should ask God to search us and we should pause and just see what God brings to mind because he will show you things that you wouldn't see on your own. You might pray this prayer tomorrow morning and not get an answer right away. But then about Tuesday afternoon, somebody will come along and say, you know what? You've been doing this, but I don't really think you ought to be doing it. And God might give you an answer from somebody else. You might pray that prayer and then open your Bible on Thursday at lunchtime and God give you the answer then. Or you might just bring something to your mind. However, he answers that prayer. When he answers it, what should you do? Confess it and forsake it. Confess your sin and forsake it. Immediately confess it. Because listen, if you struggle with it and you say, God, I just don't know if I can do that. And you wrestle with it, you're going to be miserable for one. But two, you might just convince yourself that it's okay and you hang on to that sin a little while longer. And that's going to hinder your fellowship with God. Immediately confess your sin and then thank God for the forgiveness that you have in Jesus. Listen, when God shows you the sin that's in your life, the response isn't to get all down in the dumps and beat up on yourself. When God shows you sin, you say, okay, God, I see that. I'm sorry. Thank you so much for Jesus who died for that sin. Thank you for Jesus who saved me from that. Even confession can be joyous when you look at it the right way. If it's a persistent sin, something that's been there a long time, something you've confessed before but you've had trouble forsaking it, you may need to confess it to a mature Christian friend as well. God didn't create us to be little islands of his kingdom. It's not just this little uh, hunk of sand out in the middle of the ocean. It was just you and Jesus. No, he gave you a church. He gave you other Christians. He gave you pastors and teachers that you can go to and get help. And James says, confess your sins, confess your trespasses to one another. Why? That you may pray for one another and be healed. Sometimes there's sin that's so deeply rooted in you that, yeah, you can confess it to God, but you're going to have a hard time struggling with that thing. And you need to take it to another Christian. You need to confess it with your mouth outwardly, openly to another person who can hold you accountable, somebody who can pray for you and keep a check on you. And it's through those means that God brings healing. God invites you to confess your sin to him, to be renewed in your fellowship with him. It's a good thing. It's an act of love that he would invite us to do such a thing. Now, if you've never truly come to God for forgiveness, if you've never been born again, that offer still stands this morning. And so for the very first time, you need to truly confess your sins to God and put your trust in Jesus alone to save you. He will forgive your sins. He will give you the free gift of life. And you can be part of his family. Forgive us our debts. And next week we'll look at a fourth principle as we forgive our debtors. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your invitation to us to be examined by you and to confess our sins. Not so you can beat up on us or show us how bad we are, but so that we can have closer, more intimate fellowship with you.
Lord, you have rights to us. We owe you allegiance and we have failed. But we praise you for Jesus who took our punishment so that we could be forgiven. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.